You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your hosts, Vanessa Weisbrod and Emily Friedner. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. Before we get started, I want to thank the Walter and Jean Boak Global Autoimmune Institute for their ongoing support and partnership to make this podcast possible. Today, we have a very exciting interview coming up with Dr. Edwin Liu from the Colorado Center for Celiac Disease. Dr. Liu is one of my favorite physicians in the celiac disease community. He's the kindest person, a wonderful doctor, and he is doing incredible research to help us better understand celiac disease in kids and diagnose them much, much earlier. His research has generated fascinating results, and today he's going to talk to us about the possibility of mass screening for celiac disease in the United States. So without further ado, I'm going to toss it over to my reporter, Ellen Wilcox, who sat down with Dr. Liu for this wonderful interview. Ellen, take it away. Welcome, Dr. Liu. We're so happy to have you with us today. Great. Thank you for having me here. Can you tell me what mass screening means in relation to celiac disease? Sure. You know, um, when we talk about mass screening, it means we want to try to catch everyone who could possibly have celiac disease. So this is going to be active case finding. And how is that testing done? So it, it's a simple test. Um, it's using the tissue transglutaminase antibody test. Um, and uh, by detecting these antibodies, we can uh, find individuals who may have celiac disease. Is that the TTG test? Correct. That's the TTG antibody test. I see. And what type of people would you look at for, for doing mass screenings? So in, in general, what we're doing now, at least in pediatrics, is screening individuals who have a, a, what we consider like a genetic risk. So, for example, people who have a family history of celiac disease or individuals with type 1 diabetes or other related uh, conditions. And those are the individuals right now that we're specifically targeting for screening. Tell us about your research. You are part of the TEDI study, as I understand it. And what is it revealing? Sure. You know, and TEDI stands for the Environmental Determinants of Diabetes in the Young. So this is actually a, um, it was originally a diabetes study, but because we know that the genes that put people at risk for type 1 diabetes are really shared with the genes that put us at risk for celiac disease, we can study both conditions, which are both our new conditions at the same time. And so the Teddy study, uh, you know, it tests uh, a lot of kids from different countries who are who have a genetic risk for celiac disease. So we do gene testing on them from birth, and then we do TTG antibody testing every year on them to find out exactly when they start to seroconvert and develop the autoimmunity, and then subsequently develop celiac disease. And uh, the main purpose of the study is to look for triggers that might lead to the development of autoimmunity. But besides looking at triggers for autoimmunity, we're able to learn so much more uh, about the natural history of how this kind of autoimmunity develops. I see. What ages are you finding kids most commonly getting diagnosed for celiac disease? You know, it, it's um, we're finding kids from all ages, uh, but I, I think that from our other studies, uh, within the first 10 years, kids can develop celiac disease pretty quickly. And then after that, the number of new cases that occur tends to slow down. And uh, when kids develop celiac disease at a younger age, they tend to present more with the GI-type symptoms. So these kind of symptoms 
aren't necessarily as subtle as someone who was older who then developed celiac disease. Oh, so tell me more about that. How, what type of symptoms a younger child might show rather than an older child? Sure, you know, um, we, we, we look at the younger kids, they tend to have the classical features of celiac disease, which is things like um, abdominal pain, diarrhea, or bloating, or constipation, and you know, malabsorption type features, including growth failure. And, and someone who's older, uh, may not have those things. They may have more extra intestinal manifestations. So things that are not necessarily GI related, such as headaches or joint pain or, you know, fatigue and those kinds of things. So are there some groups of children in the study who are really just getting diagnosed because of the screening rather than because of their symptoms? Yes, that's exactly it. So, you know, when we talk about mass screening again, we want to, we want to, you know, we want the idea of testing everyone for celiac disease. And the reason for this is because we know that the, that the celiac iceberg really does exist. And so the number of people who are actually being diagnosed is just the tip of the iceberg compared to the actual number of cases that we actually have in this country. And so the only way to really pick up everyone is probably going to be through mass screening, meaning testing everyone. I see. And is that something that people in the field are thinking about is uh, something to consider? You know, it, it is something to consider, but um, we still have a lot to learn about this. And so um, we, we do understand that if we want to catch every case, we can't screen just based on symptoms and we can't screen just based on risk factors because most people actually um, don't have a risk factor for celiac disease and they can just develop it because they have the right genes. And about half the individuals with celiac disease probably don't have any symptoms at all or they may be subclinical. So, um, you know, mass screening would be really the most effective way to pick up all the cases. But I, I think the considerations here, um, uh, you know, are really important though, that is it really a good idea to be doing mass screening? You know, there's potential harms and benefits of testing everyone for celiac disease. And it goes along the lines of doing the testing or, you know, making the diagnosis to even treating. I see. So you are diagnosing some very young children, and as you mentioned, some don't have symptoms that at least they're aware of. So for children who don't have obvious reactions to gluten or feel sick when eating gluten, how can parents help them stick to a gluten-free diet? Right. This is probably one of the more challenging aspects of treating celiac disease is when they're asymptomatic. And, you know, again, this is, this is the group of kids that we really need to understand uh, regarding, regarding the natural history of celiac disease. So um, if you're asymptomatic and you, and you have celiac disease, are you really going to benefit from being treated with a gluten-free diet? You know, and, and in general, um, you know, we, we try to let the families decide the best way to proceed, okay? But in general, you know, we've been advocating treatment with the gluten-free diet if we know they have celiac disease, just because a child's job is to grow and develop, okay? We don't really want to take their chances in terms of their health long-term. But it, it is harder, you know, when you don't have symptoms. And uh, we, we give them the proper education. We have psychologists in our clinic, and um, the, the, we have a psychologist here as well. And you know, this is to help uh, kids and families stay adhered to the gluten-free diet, but we do acknowledge that it can be challenging. It can be challenging, and that's why it's so great to hear about psychologists being part of the pro more and more programs now to help families. You also mentioned genetics. So can you explain a bit more about the genetics of celiac disease? Sure. You know, um, 
The two major genes that are associated with celiac disease are what we call the HLA molecules, HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8, all right? And um, you can do gene testing, you know, um, clinically, um, but DQ2 is the big gene that puts you at risk for celiac disease. And about 90% of all individuals with celiac disease will have DQ2. And maybe the rest have DQ8. And so, you know, this is one of these conditions where if you don't have one of those genes, your chances of getting celiac disease is very, very small, okay? But keep in mind that 40% of the population actually has one of these genes that puts us at risk for celiac disease. And not everyone with these genes will actually go on to develop celiac disease. So in this situation, you know, these genes are necessary but not sufficient. You did mention, though, that a small percentage of people might have celiac disease who don't have these genes. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. And I think the data is sort of mixed. Um, in Europe, they think that it's, you know, um, maybe a lot more common, but it's hard to tell. And, you know, the numbers that are quoted are less than 5% of individuals with celiac disease may have um, other genes that are not DQ2 or DQ8. And in the U.S., we think it's probably less than 1%. But that, that number is really, um, it's hard to truly determine. I see. So it shouldn't necessarily be ruled out if you don't have yes, that, that that's a very good point. You know, it, it's not absolute. And mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, as physicians, we just need to take, and, you know, take the whole clinical picture in mind. We, we talked a bit about mass screenings um, and a lot of parents listen to these podcasts and we're used to scre health screenings as part of a school program, like in, in kindergarten. And what would you say to parents who would ask about why can't there be just a regular screening of all children as they enter kindergarten? That's a great question, you know, and um, we're, we're still trying to figure out what the best strategy would be if we were to do mass screening. And I think one of the problems is, you know, you're not born with celiac disease. This is something that develops over time. And so, you know, do you want to do testing at multiple time points throughout childhood or do you want to wait until, um, you know, the majority of people are going to develop it? And through one of our studies, we find that within the first 10 years of life, kids can develop celiac disease at a pretty fast rate. Then after 10 years of age, then the new cases seem to slow down. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea, you know, um, what the rate of developing new cases would be in adulthood. But, you know, I think, you know, you can screen at any time, especially if, if you have symptoms. Uh, but it, there's, you know, there's a lot to discuss about the right strategies to screen. Sure. With the Teddy study, what are you hoping that this might lead to in the future? So, you know, the, the primary goal of the Teddy study, um, which involves, you know, six centers, you know, there's a center in Sweden, um, Finland, Germany, and then uh, Colorado, Georgia, and Washington State. And, and all of us, you know, are using the same protocols to follow these children. And, you know, this is really to try to pick up um, the risk factors, understand what triggers autoimmunity. That's the really, that's the main goal of this study. But like I said before, there's a lot that we can learn about the natural history of how autoimmunity develops. Um, in this study, uh, you know, the average child is about uh, age 10 right now, and we plan on following them you know, for a full 15 years to really understand the natural history of how this developed for throughout adolescence. So when do you expect results to be able to be analyzed? So, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of data in terms of looking for triggers. And so, you know, we, we've been able to um, revisit some of 
you know, some of these environmental factors that have been felt to play a role in celiac disease. And some we've been able to confirm, others we've been able to kind of um, debunk. Mm, why uh, is something that has been debunked, perhaps? Um, so, you know, there's a whole story about nutrition, okay? And certainly, uh, there's been a lot of questions about, you know, uh, the way we feed our infants, yeah. and is this going to be increasing the risk or decreasing the risk of celiac disease? And, you know, we, we've looked a lot at, we've looked at this in a lot of ways, and certainly there's been two major studies that were published in 2014 that sort of debunked this, and uh, a lot of our research supports the fact that there's not a huge role, as best as we can tell, uh, for, you know, the timing of gluten introduction and the way we um, breastfeed our kids that might um, increase the risk. So th those things don't seem to be playing a role, okay? But the one thing that does seem to be playing a role at this point may be the amount of gluten that kids are being fed at the time of introduction. You know, but I, I think there's so many aspects of um, feeding. It's very, very complicated to sort out all those factors. I see. So hopefully at the end of the study, you may have more information there? Yes, we hope to. Great, great. Uh, Dr. Liu, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? You know, I, I think it's probably the same message that, um, you know, I, I share every time, which is, you know, is to always test first, you know. So we, we may have a family history of celiac disease, and when we want to, um, uh, when we think about family members uh, who may or may not have celiac disease, I think it's really important to do testing first before you put them on a gluten-free diet. Um, you know, once you put your child on a gluten-free diet, it becomes more complicated to understand whether or not they may have celiac disease. And it's, it's going to be, it's a, there's a big difference between having, you know, celiac disease versus, you know, what we call now non-celiac gluten sensitivity in terms of how strict you think you need to be and potential complications that can occur in the future. So um, test first is really my main message. Well, that is a great last message for our listeners. And I want to thank you so much for speaking with us today, Dr. Liu. Well, thank you very much for having me here. Thank you so much, Dr. Liu and Ellen, for that fascinating interview. I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens in the future and if we can get celiac disease to be part of uh, major screening points like kindergarten wellness exams. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Thanks to everyone for tuning in today and we'll hear from you soon. 